author, Helen Keller, who was born in Tuscumbia, Alabama, uh, once said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight and no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight and no vision. Proverbs 28, 29, verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is important. And vision is a picture of, of the future. It's a picture that should produce passion. What's the vision of the village church? Oh, that is just sad. What's the vision of the village church? And you are wrong. (laughs) That's the mission. (laughs) What am I doing, Lord? What am I doing? Next time, I'm just going to ask the kids. So they get all the questions right that I ask them. <laughs> the vision of the village church is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. That's the vision that should create passion, but it can't create passion if you don't know it. So, so those words are are they empty words or are they, are they creating passion within you? And I've been trying to refill the, the vision and mission cup o- over the past month, trying to refill it by focusing on forgiveness, embracing forgiveness and extending forgiveness. And after what y'all just did, I'm wondering if a message are getting through. <laughs> if it's, is it making a difference in our hearts and in our lives? Has it made a difference in how you see God as Father? Have these messages made a difference in how you deal with people in your life? Family, friends, co-workers, TVC saints, all believers, all believers, all the believers around the face of the earth are to embrace freely God's passive, unconditional, always presence forgiveness. That's what it is for you. That's what it is for you. Do you embrace that forgiveness? It's passive because you don't earn it. It's unconditional because he gives it freely. And it's always present, meaning it's always there. Even when you don't feel it or believe it, your feelings don't dictate who God is. Okay? It's there all the time. David says in Psalm 32, happy, truly happy, is the one whose transgressions is forgiven whose sin is covered. Truly happy is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That is Christians. That is a, amen, amen. And embracing God's forgiveness is a practical expression of our vision. You got to embrace it. If you can't embrace forgiveness, there's no way you can extend it. If you don't know what it means to be forgiven, how can you even forgive? 
So you got to know what it means for you to be forgiven as a child of God. And that empowers you to embrace it. And as you embrace it, you extend it to other people in your church, other people in your life. And extended forgiveness is also a practical expression of our vision. But do we believe these things? Do we live these things? If you have your Bible, open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Today's sermon is the third and final one in the Mission and Vision series about forgiveness. And also the previous two sermons on extended forgiveness is also from this text. So if you haven't listened to those two sermons, you've got to listen to them because these sermons are all connected. And so if you get a whole picture of what I'm talking about, you've got to go back and listen to the first two as well. And they are on the church's website. Now receive with great joy and humility, saints, God's word to you and for you. Second Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, but not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote you, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Everyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. This is God's holy and errant word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, you have to move. That's the bottom line. The preacher has no power. I don't care how gifted the person may be, how many titles or in front of the person's name, or how, how many degrees the person may have. You are the third person of the Trinity. You are the one who leads us into all truth, and we need you to move. We need you to move in our hearts and our minds and our emotions. We need you to take the word that is preached and to apply it to all of our hearts, myself included, so, Counselor, our helper, help us today for our good and our benefit and for the glory of our Savior. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Extending forgiveness to people who sin against you don't always happen overnight. And that's the point I've been making in the past two sermons. It's not easy. It takes time. It can't be rushed. And it may feel like a marathon. And it's really a process, saints, a process that involves church discipline and restoration. And if you remember, church discipline at the village church, it has a, a triple A rating. You remember that? Triple A rating. And what, is, what does the triple A stand for? It stands for acknowledgement of the sin, the issue, and, and the offense that's clear to the offender. It's accountability to the offender. It's action steps for the offender that's appropriate. That's triple A. That's what it should look like. And the goal of church discipline is to produce three positive effects. Repentance, restitution, and restoration. That is the goal of all church discipline. Regardless of church, regardless of denomination. Repentance, restitution, restoration. 
And church discipline is to produce those things in every church. Is it being produced here? Next, extending restoration is also a final destination of all church discipline. And restoration at the village church has a goal as well. And it's what I call FCA. FCA. Restoration. And that stands for forgiveness, comfort, affirmation. Forgiveness, comfort, affirmation. When someone has been restored to the body from church discipline, those three things should be part of it. Forgiveness, comfort, affirmation. Look at verse 6 again. It says, for such a one, the punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by, uh, by a sense of sorrow. And so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. You might not remember this, but there are three, four Greek terms used for forgiveness in the Bible, in the New Testament, four of them. And the Apostle Paul uses the term hardrizomai here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And it means to show oneself to be gracious, to grant forgiveness, to give freely, graciously to restore one to another. One Christian blogger highlights two applications for this um, term for forgiveness, one for God and one for man. He says this term is God's forgiveness to maintain fellowship with man. And it's man's forgiveness to obedience to God to promote reconciliation with man. That's the term that is used here. Paul wants the church in Corinth to turn towards their brother, to show themselves, to be gracious to him. They're to freely grant him forgiveness, to graciously restore him back to the body. Because the discipline has led the brother to repentance and restitution. And he's asking them to forgive him and work towards reconciliation with him. And it won't happen overnight. Now, listen, Paul sent this letter to them. This is an exhortation to them to begin the process of restoration. Okay, that's what he's doing. You can't expect we're reading the letter and all of a sudden, let's do it. No, it takes time. We're not robots. It takes time. And don't treat the, 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 these Christians here as if they're holier than thou. They're just like us. So they read this. I'm pretty sure they was like, man, I don't know, Paul. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. The F in FCA implies working towards extended forgiveness that will hopefully move towards reconciliation. And again, it won't be easy. It won't happen overnight. It will be messy. It will be hard. And it will be complicated. It will be frustrating. It will. Sometimes I sometimes ask my kids, I say, do I get on your nerves sometimes? They say, yeah. And I say, you know what? You get on mine too sometimes. But you know what? We family. We just want to work it out. And that's what it means for the body of Christ. We got to work it out. And that's why we're broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Peter once asked Jesus this question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That's a really good question, Peter. 
Have you ever asked Jesus that question about your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your co-workers, your friends, your church family? How often would the people in this church sin against me? And I forgive them, Lord. How often would my siblings sin against me, Jesus, and I have to forgive them? I'm tired of them going in my stuff. How often would my parents sin against me? And I forgive them. As many as seven times, Jesus? How much is enough, Jesus? And what does Jesus say to Peter? I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And in the Greek, this is what it means in the Greek. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to tell you what it means in the Greek. All believers are to work towards forgiveness every time people sin against them. That's what it means in the Greek. I mean, again, it won't be easy. It's a journey. It's a marathon. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit. So you can't leave here and just say, I'm going to work hard tomorrow. No, your response should be, help my unbelief, Holy Spirit. Give me a heart to move towards this person in forgiveness. That's the prayer. Don't turn the journey of forgiveness into work. It's a prayer for the Holy Spirit to work in you. I plan to do, you don't know this, but I plan to do this series on forgiveness two years ago. And I decided not to. God's timing, I guess. And two years ago, I was up late one night working. I actually had a sermon almost completed, to be honest with you. And then I went in a totally different direction. I was up late one Friday night in 2018, I guess a year ago. And I came across a news story about a young woman named Kylie Harriet. The story highlighted her graduation from high school, and it was a special moment for her because of all the challenges she had to overcome. Back in 2003, when she was three years old, a stray bullet struck her in the back. This tragedy happened while she sat on her family's front porch in Boston, and it left her paralyzed from the waist down, and she was just three. And one of the most powerful moments from this story happened two years after the shooting, she went to the sentencing of Anthony Warren. That's the, the man whose who's bullet struck her. And saying, this brave, teary-eyed girl publicly forgave this man. She wasn't coached to do it. She, Her mom and sister didn't put her up to do it. They said they didn't even know what she was going to say when she took the stand. And this is what she said. I forgive Anthony Warren. What he has done to me was wrong, but I still forgive him. Let those words from a five-year-old marinate in your soul for a moment. She's on the witness stand, speaking to the man who left her paralyzed and said, I forgive Anthony Warren. What he done to me was wrong. I still forgive him. And after the, the sentencing, her sister, Kylie's sister, says it was such an experience to see her forgive. I don't think anyone was prepared for that. When she said that, it was, it was her taking the initiative and leading us through. Forgiveness takes initiative from the person who's been sinned against. And this forgiveness can lead you through the pain, the hurt, the bitterness, the resentment, and the thoughts of revenge. It can set you free. You forgive for your own freedom. Do you want to be free from what has happened to you? what they have done to you. 
Extended forgiveness, it doesn't mean you forget what happened. It changes how you respond when you remember. Okay? Doesn't mean you forget what happened. It changes how you respond when you remember. What happened no longer owns you because Christ has finally given you victory. It doesn't mean you stop seeking for justice. Doesn't mean you're condoning or excusing what happened. It means you want you finally free. Have y'all have you heard of the International Forgiveness Institute? That there is such a thing. I never knew there was such a thing, but there is. The International Forgiveness Institute is part of the University of Wisconsin. And listen to what this institute says about forgiveness. It says, when you forgive someone who has deeply hurt you, you let go of resentment. The urge to seek revenge. No matter how deserving of these things the wrongdoer may be, you give the gift of acceptance and generosity and love. Though the wrongdoer does not deserve these gifts, you don't let that stand in your way. You give not out of pity, not out of grim obligation, but rather you give because you have chosen to have a merciful heart. A heart with the power to free yourself and to live a better life. Who do you need to forgive today? What person? What group of people? What has happened in your past that you're still holding on to? And I need you all to understand something now. Extended forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation has happened, okay? Those are two different things. And sometimes we, 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 we connect the two. There's two different things. Forgiveness must happen before reconciliation can. And TVC Saints, the, again, the F in forgiveness, the, the F in FCA is you working towards forgiveness that hopefully removes towards reconciliation. And reconciliation does not always look the same way in every situation. It doesn't mean the relationship will ever be the same. You got to understand that. It doesn't mean you're going to be BFFs. Sometimes reconciliation might not even occur on this side of heaven. And they're just keeping it real. You can forgive someone and you still not be reconciled with them. That takes time. You might not reconcile with every person you forgive in this life. And even, maybe even in this church. And that's just being in, being real. But when reconciliation takes place within our body, it does mean something. It does, it should look a certain way. It means you're going to be gracious towards one another moving forward. Coexisting in our community in a way that's respectful and honoring and loving towards one another. It means accepting boundaries and limitations. Keeping short accounts with one another. Doing life in our body that maintains the peace and unity of our church. It means we do what Brene Brown says. She says, extend the most gracious interpretation possible to intentions, words, and actions of others. Extend the most generous interpretation possible to intentions, words, and actions of others. Can we do that here? Can we really do that? Can we extend these that to someone who's repented and made restitution and been restored to the body? Can we extend a gracious interpretation of people's actions, words, and, and thoughts? Can we do that? 
The second goal of restoration process is comfort. The church of Corinth isn't just to forgive their brother, but also turn to comfort him. Again, look at verse 6 and 7. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by obsessive sorrow. How does it make you feel to hear these words from Paul? Be honest with yourself. Forgive the person? Okay, Paul. Reconcile with the person? Maybe, Paul. Comfort the person who sinned against me, who sinned against the whole church? I don't know about that, Paul. You've been stoned too many times. I don't want to be around the person, Paul. But you want me to turn and forgive the person? Listen here, bro, I'll forgive him. I'll even work towards reconciliation. But I ain't going to comfort the person. She hurt me. She wounded me. They committed a crime against me. They sinned against me. And don't you dare say to me, what would Jesus do? Because I ain't Jesus. I'm not the Christ. We can romanticize these things. But if you truly live in this stuff out, you got to say, I don't really want to do that. If we're honest with ourselves, I don't really want to do that. It will be a struggle. Individually and corporately. Even if a brother or sister repents and make restitution, it will still be hard to comfort them. Even if forgiveness has been extended and reconciliation has occurred, it will still be difficult to give comfort. So, so what, what should we do individually and corporately? We have to accept the hardness, embrace the difficulty, lean into vulnerability, press into them with Holy Spirit resolve that comes through prayer. Because the Spirit has to move in our hearts here. Again, this is not things you can do to be legalistic about it. It's this, this, these messages should drive you to your knees and say, Holy Spirit, help my unbelief. That's, that's where you should go here. Go to your prayer closet when you get home. To help me have a heart of forgiveness. Jesus says in Matthew 26, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you try to navigate the journey through forgiveness in your flesh, that's not going to happen. You need the whole you need Holy Spirit power to do that. And you got to ask for it. You ain't got to go to another conference. You ain't got to go buy another book on forgiveness. Just, Just go to your knees, saints. Just go to your knees. And ask the Holy Spirit to change you. The Holy Spirit is referred to as, um, let's see if I can pronounce this Greek word, parakletos. And that is a Greek noun that means helper and comforter. The Holy Spirit comforts believers. He's a parakletos for all Christians, regardless of who they are. And so if you have saving faith in Jesus, If you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives in you and he is your comforter and he is your helper. That's what he is for you. And that means he comes alongside of you to aid you through the highs and lows of life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Come on. How many, what, what group of people has the Holy Spirit living in them? 
Does anybody can claim that? Only Christians have that. Can't be a Christian without it. So again, you're not navigating by yourself. You have power from on high that lives inside of you. The same spirit that came at Pentecost still lives in you. And he ain't taking a nap. Okay? Not taking a nap. He still lives in you. We just got to pray to him. He's not the C-team, people. He's part of the Godhead for a reason. And Jesus says in John, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or know him. But he dwells in you and will be with you forever. Forever. He's your parakletos. And also Jesus is your parakletos as well. Did you know that? Would you know that? The term is used in 1 John 2. They say, because Jesus is our advocate before the Father, pleading with him on our behalf. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate, parakletos, with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the atonement for our sins, not ours only, but also the sins of the world. Parakletos is the means of God's grace to you in this life. For those of you who have saving faith in Christ, you have a helper, a comforter, and an advocate for on high. You got friends in high places, saints. And as you rightly praise him, I need to call your attention to something very important. And as you rightly rejoice, I gotta, got, you got to understand something. The Greek noun parakletos has a verb root. And it's used right here in 2 Corinthians 2. Parakaleo. And it means... To come alongside and encourage. To come alongside and console. To instill someone with courage and cheer. To exhort, to urge. Now the context always determines how this verb is being used. And and in in verse 7 here, it means to come alongside someone in order to encourage and console them. Or it means to come alongside and comfort them. You see, TVC saints and beloved, you aren't being called to do anything that God hasn't already done for you freely. You aren't being called to do anything that he's not currently doing for you presently and in the future. The church walks in Jesus' footsteps and how she comforts members who are being restored to the body of fellowship. And we walk this line corporately and individually, but do we believe it? Will we put them into practice? Because God welcomes us back. So we welcome a brother and sister back who has wandered. Our Corinthians, our Corinthian brothers and sisters, they should have an aha moment as they're reading um, these words from, from Paul about comforting their brother who's been restored from church discipline. And the aha moment uh, should come because there's a connection between what Paul says in verse 7 and what he tells them back in chapter 1. Like us. He's not calling them to do anything that God hasn't already done for them. In verse 7, he says, you should turn and and forgive and comfort the brother. In chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Do you see the connection, TVC Saints? God the Father gives you parakaleo. He comforts you in Christ. And in return, you should give parakaleo to other people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ within this body. The message Bible says God comes alongside of us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings you alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Has God ever left you hanging? Has he ever not came to your side? Has he ever just said, you just by yourself now? No, he comes. And most of the time he comes to his people. Parakaleo at the, at the village church, it means we walk alongside one another in the spirit of mutual brokenness because we all have issues. We all do. We all have them. We all have them. And that's a choice we have to make. This comfort is us being the hands and feet of Christ to one another. It's mercy without judgment. It's empathy, but not trying to fix all the problems. It's compassion towards those who sin against you. And it won't be easy. It will be messy. It will be complicated. Again, that's why we're broken people coming together. You press into this stuff under the banner of the cross and the resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants the church in Corinth to forgive their brother to comfort him so that he would not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. You see, the process of of, of restoration, it seeks to bring the gifted person back into the body without being labeled a pariah. The restoration process says we're going to welcome you back into the body without branding you with a scarlet letter that says pariah, untouchable, don't engage, don't invite the stuff, don't hang out with, ignore. That is fate because that's not how Jesus does you. Can a person be restored to our body without being labeled that? If one of our teen girls grew up and have a baby, would she be welcome back in here without I can't believe she came to church. This is real life because things happen. And if we don't think it's going to happen, then guess what? You're not living in the real world. The village church is cool. It's cool to come to church here, but things happen, people. And if we don't think it's going to happen, then we're not living in real life. When it happens, how are we going to respond? How are we going to deal with it? Remember what Helen Keller says. The worst thing being in blind is having sight but no vision. How we deal with our broken people. How we deal with the sinners who, those people who sin to be restored back to the body, we, we, we reveal a lot about our church. See, everything's good when there's no conflict. Oh, those, those people love each other. Black people, white people, all of them all together. Oh, young, they all love each other. But as soon as conflict happens, it's either going to reveal who we really are. Everybody's unified with things well. 
Even Tennessee fans were all happy before the season started. <laughs> ah. Now they're not. Verse 8, Paul says, I beg you. Listen to these words. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. That's the A and FCA, affirmation of your love for a brother or sister who's been restored to the body. Reaffirm your love for him. And the Greek term that's translated reaffirm, it requires action, not just words. The term literally means call someone to recognize the reality of something, to show something to be real, to make something real. See, verse 8 can be rewarded this way. I beg you to show that your love for him is real. Show him that you actually do love him. Put hands and feet on your love. That's what Paul is encouraging them to do. A public affirmation of love towards a brother and sister who's been restored to the body after church discipline. What kind of love are they to reaffirm? What kind of love are we to reaffirm? It's the first Corinthians 13 love, saints. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It does not ignorant or rude. It, is not, it does not insist on its own way. It is not short-tempered or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's the love he wants them to reaffirm. And when we have a brother who has been restored, that's the love we ought to reaffirm to them. Hey, we really do love you. We really do love you. Again, it ain't gonna be easy. This, this is not a lifetime movie, okay? This is not. This, this is gonna be hard. But TVC Saints, the way that we love wounded saints, it shows the world that we are Jesus' disciples. It shows the world that we are Christ's disciples. The way we love saints who have been restored uh, to the to the body after church discipline, it shows the world that we are Jesus' disciples. Even in your own family, where you love one another when, when reconciliation happens, it's a model of the gospel. The way we extend forgiveness towards one another, it shows the unbelieving world that these people are Jesus' disciples. See, we're not disciples by what we are against. You see? That's, what, that's how most Christians in America function. I'm a Christian because I'm against this. I'm a Christian because I'm against homosexual marriage. I'm I'm against abortion. That is nowhere in the Bible. You show you are a Christian by your love for the broken. Not what you are against. But who you are for and who you belong to. That is Jesus. Let us be hands and feet to Jesus to one another. And let us not let the enemy set up shop in our church. Spiritual warfare is real. All he needs is an inch to get in. One conflict, one issue, one misinterpretation of behavior, he'll get in. And what he does, he sent down to hell watch eating popcorn. Yeah, I got him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did it. She talked about you. Yeah, be mad with her. He rejoices. When any local body of Christ falls apart, he wins. And Paul says here that we should not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant 
of his designs. His whole discussion on forgiveness, it ends with that verse. Because he knows it is the tool of the enemy that does not want us to forgive one another. Please know that. If you're resisting to reconcile with somebody, that is not from God. That is from the enemy. That is not from God. You got to know the enemy whispers to you, too. He knows scripture. And he has he has more Christian values than all of us. And he will use it against you. Yeah, you're right. You can't trust them. You need to go somewhere else. Be strong in the Lord, saints, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen to this. We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but often it feels that way. If you're married, you know it feels that way. What do you mean not flesh and blood? They They feel like an enemy right now. We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look around the congregation. These people are not your enemy. If you think they're your enemy, then you need to do business with Jesus. I'm not your enemy. I love you. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to hold you accountable for stuff, but I do it in love. So, saints, please know who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. Let us go to the Lord now in prayer. Holy Spirit, I thank you that we can live into this forgiveness through your power. And I do pray that these five sermons on forgiveness will not just be messages that will go in one ear out the other. I pray that as a church, Lord, we will learn to embrace your forgiveness for us, that we will understand what that actually means, and then we will live in that forgiveness, and then we will also be able to extend it. Holy Spirit, I pray to you that you will bless us, that you will empower us, that you will remind us that, that, that you are with us, and that we will be sensitive to your leading, we will not clench you. So Holy Spirit, be our helper, be our counselor, be our comforter, as we go out into the world one more week. And I pray for all these things in Christ's wonderful, beautiful name. Amen.